You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 10. If you have your version apps, uh, choose Williamsburg Christian Church, and that's where we'll be, Mark chapter 10. Verse 46, hear and receive this story. Jesus and his followers came into Jericho. As Jesus was leaving Jericho together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Barnabas, Timaeus' son, was sitting beside the road. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. Many scolded him, telling him to be quiet. But he shouted even louder, Son of David, show me mercy. Jesus stopped and said, Call him forward. And they called the blind man, Be encouraged, get up, he's calling you. Throwing his coat to the side, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Teacher, I want to see Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. At once he was able to see, and he began to follow Jesus on the way. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Some of your translations say saved. Healed is a better word. Jesus wasn't saying, Bartimaeus, your faith has made it possible for you to go to heaven when you die. That's not what he's saying. He says, your faith has healed you. And what's interesting about that statement is that it's the power of Jesus that healed him. Are you with me? Like, we can agree with that, right? It was the power of Jesus that healed him. Yet Jesus said, your faith played some sort of role. Your faith was some sort of active participation. Your faith has healed you. And so I can't help but wonder, what kind of faith did Bartimaeus have in order to make Jesus say, your faith has healed you? Like, what kind of faith was it? Well, it wasn't a faith dictated by feelings, because I imagine Bartimaeus was tired. It wasn't a faith dictated by circumstances, because he was told to shut up by the naysayers all around him. And it wasn't a faith dictated by human logic because there's nothing logical about what he must have heard Jesus of Nazareth had been up to all around Galilee. See, the giveaway to this text in my reading is that Bartimaeus calls Jesus son of David. And he wouldn't have called him son of David if he didn't know his Bible, Bartimaeus. Because son of David was a messianic term, meaning it's a term that the scriptures spoke of in regards to the king who would come to be king of Israel and because of what the scripture says, Lord of the universe. When Bartimaeus says son of David, that is a confession that he's from the line of David and as God promised, he's the king. See, there was a reading of reality that should have left Bartimaeus with an interpretation that once blind, always blind. Yet it was in the face 
of these impossible circumstances that Bartimaeus chose to trust Jesus as sent by God out of his own loyalty to God because he knew God to be loyal. Bartimaeus clearly knew the promise of Scripture that promised the Messiah, the son of David. Something inside of Bartimaeus told him that this Jesus has been sent by God from the royal line of David and is the promised king. Bartimaeus' faith was anything but blind. Because his mind was focused on what the scriptures said about Jesus. Bartimaeus' faith was anything but some sort of leap in the dark because he was determined to get to Jesus. He knew the reliability of what he had heard from the scriptures about the son of David who would come and liberate all who had pledged loyalty to him. And he knew the reliability of God's promises. So Bartimaeus must have trusted. And it's a faith that believes and trusts in the face of the impossible and the naysayers in the crowd. And if it's that kind of faith, y'all, then it has to be upheld by something more than just intellectual assent. It has to be upheld by something more than just affection or feelings. It has to be something more than just believing deeply enough. And if I understand the word faith rightly, it was more than that. It included those things, but it was a faith response. It was a choice of allegiance to God. It was a wholehearted, pledged loyalty, a kind of fidelity that would provoke an allegiance in an all-powerful Lord God. Faith was a choice Bartimaeus made, one that caused him to hope and to cling to mere possibility. And I want you to look at the story again. Bartimaeus calls out for Jesus, son of David. He calls out for Jesus as king, and then Jesus invites him to come. And so Bartimaeus throws off his coat, jumps up, and begins his journey in receiving the liberation of God. And then look at what the text says. And he followed him along the way. This kind of faith led him on a path toward wholeness is a responsive faith. A faith rooted in both the heart and the will. It's like what George MacDonald said, what a man believes is the thing he does, not the thing he thinks. What we believe is demonstrated by what we do And if what we believe doesn't align with what we do, then we probably have to think twice about what it is we say we believe. See, faith is what happens when belief meets loyalty and leads us to action. Faith is what happens when belief meets loyalty and then leads us to action. Now, just a nerd moment, if you will. If you read through any of the Greco-Roman texts of Jesus' day, or if you were to read through any of this, like what you might call secular texts, so writings not inside of Scripture, whether it be other religious texts or whether it be just like chronicles of wars, if 
you read any of those texts back in Jesus' day, and even all the way up toward to Paul's day, you'll find the word pistis, which is the Greek word what we translate faith. So when you look at your Bible, what's translated faith there, what you'll see in that word pistis that is translated faith in these other texts is that it doesn't mean believe. It means loyalty. So in the Greco-Roman vocabulary, in the vocabulary of Jesus' time, in the vocabulary of Paul's time, when the word is used faith, it doesn't mean intellectual assent. It doesn't mean affection. It doesn't just mean belief. It means pledged loyalty. It means a pledged allegiance because faith is this empowered, the spirit-empowered decision of allegiance, and it's a decision of allegiance because of where and in whom you've placed your faith. Pledged loyalty assumes belief. It assumes trust, but it is more than belief and more than trust. Faith is placed in the God who, as the Apostle Paul says, gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. It's held within the heart and within the will of a person, resolved to remain loyal to the God who, when God speaks and makes promises, can be trusted as faithful because God is holy. And in Jesus Christ, God has promised to remain faithful in love for us. God has gone so far as to call us God's children, and not only that, heirs of God's kingdom. Faith is the response to the God who makes claims that only a Lord of the entire cosmos can make and then follows through. So this isn't about believing deeper. And sometimes we talk about faith as if we have to believe deeper. And I don't know about you, but when I'm thinking about faith as like believing deeper, I can end up making myself anxious. I got to believe more. I got to believe more. I got to believe deeper. If only I believed more. If only I believed deeper. And that's, that's a woefully inadequate understanding of what faith means. In its original context, it means something more than that. It means a decision of loyalty. And I can get on board with that. And it makes sense when you talk about faithfulness. When we say somebody is faithful, we're not saying they believe deeply in us. We're saying they are committed. Even if that commitment is straining and struggling, they're still showing up. They're still present. See, faith understood in this way cannot be dictated or defined by circumstances or emotional desire. Faith is also not this idea of walking blindly, even though it does require seeing, doesn't require seeing what all you know lies ahead. It, faith isn't just about some leap in the dark, even though it's not always logical. Faith is sometimes trust, it's just a sometimes belief, but it is always about pledged allegiance. Faith is revealed in the Christian scriptures is about a way of life. A way of life that demonstrates allegiance to the lordship of Jesus. It's about a way of life. And it's why scriptures constantly call God's people to faithfulness. Faith is what happens when belief meets loyalty and leads to action. So here's how it plays out. If you're struggling with this or if this is kind of new... If you've been at WCC for a while, this, this shouldn't be new. But, but if this is kind of new for us, or we're just reminding ourselves of something, then just stay with me, because I want to talk about how I think this works out practically. So in the Christian tradition, we talk about how we walk by faith and not by what? Sight. See, we, we even know it. So what does that even mean? Well, we could say it means that faith is a way of life. 
What it also means is that faith is not a destination. Faith is a discipline. And faith holds to what is true of self as declared by God. And faith holds to what is true of God as declared in the person of Jesus. Faith is not a destination. It is a discipline that is able to get us through the distance between trauma and triumph, between struggle and success, between pain and power. Faith in the kingship of Jesus moves us through the in-between, keeps us fully present in the waiting, keeps our eyes holding to the promise of the future without denying what's happening in the present. You with me? So faith is not a future-only thing. Faith is loyalty to the promise of King Jesus that gives us hope and what God says is true now. Faith is loyal to the promise that the world as it is is not what it will become because God is at work in the present making all things new right now. See, faith is a belief And a trust that leads to a loyalty and a pledged allegiance that God is with me now. That you matter now. That you are God's chosen beloved now. That you are God's royal priesthood now. That you are God's possession now. Think about that language. You are God's possession. Think about how this works. A lot of us are taught or we believe that it's somehow like come judgment day, it's kind of a guessing game. Like we don't really know what's going to happen on judgment day. And here's the thing. If the Bible says you are God's possession now, it means God has you now. It means God won't let you go now. And if he won't let you go now, he won't let you go ever. And that's a declaration of faith. That what it requires is a life of discipline to live in light of the declaration that God has made. Are you with me? Come on now, am I preaching to myself? I mean, I am a little bit. Don't get me wrong. This is faith. You can walk forward in the promise of victory now. And even if the facts on the ground say something else, are the people in your life are like the crowd of naysayers in Bartimaeus's life, you can remain loyal because Jesus is loyal to you. See, that changes how we live our faith. Faith is this practice. It's this discipline of pledged allegiance to King Jesus and all of Jesus' claims. And that can give us hope. And hope is what we always need. See, hope, like faith, is more than just intellectual assent. Hope is more than just believing. Hope is a kind of disposition. Everybody say disposition. Okay, you can do better than that. Like, like disposition, like force. Disposition, say it. It's a disposition. That's what hope is. Hope is a disposition of the mind, of the heart, of the body. It's this openness, this anticipation to search for meaning in what is happening around me because I know Jesus is still king. See, hope is the conviction that God is still present. And it takes faith to live into that conviction. It takes a commitment to the God who knows us best and loves us most and has made promises that God will keep 
that God is present even when I don't feel that way. Even when it doesn't look like it. That God has spoken. And there's a bloodstained cross and empty tomb that says it's so. Dr. Walter Brueggemann, one of my favorite theologians, said this about hope. It gets a little wordy, so I'll, I'll unpack what I think it means in a minute. But faith and hope, this, this coming together of the two. He says that hope, on one hand, is an absurdity too embarrassing to speak about. For it flies in the face of all those claims we've been told are facts. Hope is the refusal to accept the reading of reality, which is the majority opinion. And one does that only at great political and existential risk. On the other hand, hope is subversive, for it limits the grandiose pretension of the present, daring to announce that the present to which we have all made commitments is now called into question. In other words, here's what I think he's saying. Because of our understanding of what it means to live by faith, hope doesn't concern itself with the claims made by a society thoroughly committed to human logic, fear, anxiety, cynicism, violence, and antagonism. Hope cannot, I want to say, hope cannot be amended by the majority. Hope is not able to be impeached, and it is not up for sale. Hope is unafraid to question the status quo and what the naysayers tell us is impossible because hope is a conviction that God is still present in the world. Hope is rooted in the expectation, the expectation, the anticipation that King Jesus is at work among us and out ahead of us by God's Spirit, doing faithfully what God has promised to do. And faith is the means by which we live in light of that hope because we are committed to that promise even when we struggle. I'm often reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote when he wrote his letter to the Corinthian church and in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 said what we all just repeated not too long ago that we walk by faith and not by sight. I remember how Paul was once a terrorist who murdered and terrorized Christians because of his allegiance to his understanding of religion and politics. I'm reminded of how Paul's life was transformed in this most radical way when he encountered Jesus and then changed his allegiance. He didn't just believe. He pledged his undying loyalty to the Christ who encountered him in Damascus. See, I'm reminded of how the Spirit of God changed Paul from being a terrorist to the church to a pastor to the church. And I sometimes wonder how Paul carried on once he had lost all his credentials, <clears throat> all his life, constantly put at risk due to the very political and religious ideology he once advocated. I think about how hard it must have been for Paul to remain loyal to the conviction that trauma can turn to triumph, that struggle can lead to success, and that pain can be overcome by God's power. But it makes more sense when I hear Paul talk about faith and how faith in Jesus' kingship and the politics of the kingdom of God, which called him out of the politics of society, and an allegiance to those things, and into a way of life 
committed to working all beliefs and all ethics out in light of the love of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. See, it was Paul's pledged allegiance to Jesus as king and the hope that it brings that kept Paul on the course. It wasn't because he believed deeper. He was just thoroughly committed to that being the only way of life worth living for and worth dying for. I'm reminded of Peter when he's with Jesus and Jesus has got this mega church that's following him around in John 6, y'all remember? And Jesus starts talking the kind of things that Jesus often does and starts preaching this kind of hard truth. And the scripture says these people leave. And I want to make note that Jesus doesn't chase them down. He lets them leave. But then he looks at the disciples. He said, are y'all going to leave too? Y'all remember Peter's words? Peter's like, yeah, where, where, are we, where else are we going to go if you have the words to eternal life? That's someone who says, Lord, I, 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 mean, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because faith is not just belief. It's a pledged loyalty to God who knows us best and loves us most. And when we get clear about what faith is, and maybe even what faith is not, each one of us become prisoners of hope rather than prisoners of despair. Faith leads us to this understanding of hope that is more than just now a belief. It's a disposition. It's a, it's a faith-inspired ability to reinterpret what we see in light of the promises of God. When we see a person pass away and die in Christ, we know that they truly lived. They were just changing neighborhoods. We hold on to that hope. That's faith. It's a holding on, even if it's by the tips of our fingers. It's a faith that is grounded in the realities of what we see in the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension and the reign of Jesus Christ as king and the promises Jesus brings. It's a faith. That even when things don't turn out as expected, the Holy Spirit's strength within us, we're empowered to call things what they are, to name them for what they are, to see them for what they are, but not let what we see and name and call have the final word. Because we believe that God is still at work. And he's not done yet. And then we can choose to be compassionate. We can choose to be a faithful presence everywhere we walk because we walk by faith. And when the trauma or the struggle or the pain grows heavy, we can hold on to hope by faith, by this pledged allegiance, because we remember Christ's solidarity with the trauma. We remember Jesus' solidarity with the struggle. We remember Jesus' solidarity with the pain, and that in Jesus' solidarity with the pain and the struggle and the trauma, he's overcome, and that becomes our triumph. Come on now. I don't get, we don't get an amen out of that? Like, John, we need to get to, we're going to start serving coffee next week again. Because when we read the scriptures, y'all, the stories of Jesus, what we learn is that faith is about growing up. It's about growing up. It's about this way of life that leads us to a greater loyalty to the way of Jesus and a more faithful love for others because of the way of Jesus. 
Faith is not about the searching for the answers we have not found. Faith is about living in light of the meaning that we have found in the kingship of Jesus. Faith is in the promise that brokenness can turn to beauty. And that harms can begin to heal. That oppression will make way for liberation. We live by faith people who have pledged allegiance to Jesus as king. And we hold on to this hope that this confession brings. And when we as a church, as a collective, when each one of us get clear on this, and then we as a church get clear on this, God's purposes will become clear through us. See, through this courageous and humble witness that could be seen intangible acts of love and compassion for neighbors and enemies alike, we, the church, will then become a sign, an instrument, a foretaste of God's kingdom that is and is to come. We live by faith in Jesus Christ, our King, not just our personal Savior, in whom we have placed our hope. And like Bartimaeus, we call out the Jesus as king who invites us to come. And we throw off whatever holds us down, jump up, begin the journey of liberation, and follow him. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 